0: Let's pray. Father, we want to pray this morning that our hearts are ready to hear truth and that our hearts are ready to keep lies at bay. That we want to remember again this morning who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. We want to pray for Commerce Community Church. C3 in commerce, that you would use elders and the deacons that are leading that church, that you would give them strength, grace, wisdom, power, oversight, that the elders would preach and pray faithfully and oversee faithfully and that the deacons would manage the household of that faith well. We pray for their worship this morning as they're probably singing and preaching and hearing preaching even now that you would, um, you would do something among them as they're together that would continue to transform them into the people that you want them to be and that they would remember like we remember this morning that you are the goal, you are the treasure, And that we want to know, again, who Jesus is and what he's done. And that many people would believe on Jesus in this world because of that church, that pillar and buttress of the truth and commerce. And that you would do the same among us, that many people would believe on Jesus because of the pillar and buttress of truth that meets here this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're looking again, this is part two of an order series. I don't know if you can call two sermons a series, but that's what we're calling it. Um, a pair of sermons on order. Last week we looked at marriage and the order of marriage, that a husband's first and primary ministry is to his wife, a wife's first and primary ministry is to her husband. And now this morning we're going to look at order and church leadership. Uh, This morning, I hope you will see the same thing that applies to marriage, that when marriages are out of order, when the ministry order in marriage is out of order, two things are at stake. Number one, the focus has been taken off the gospel. That we're not thinking the gospel being believed on in the world, that we're not thinking about Our children seeing the gospel, we're not thinking about other people believing the gospel when our marriages are out of order and our ministry and our time and our ambitions are out of order. The same thing applies for church leadership. If elders are not doing what elders are supposed to do and deacons are not doing what deacons are supposed to do, or if they're disqualified in their doing and in their ministry then the gospel is not being put on display, that Jesus is not being preached and Jesus is not being explained and he is not being lifted up and he will not be believed on when that's out of order. And the second thing is that we've given the enemy a foothold when the church leadership is out of order. I want you to hear that again. We're going to be quick this morning. I know the kiddos are in here. I'm going to be swift as possible with this message, but I want you to hear this again. The gospel is is not our focus, and the gospel pressing forward is not our focus when church leadership is out of order. And we say to the enemy, you can just have whatever you'd like to have here because we're not in order. We're just saying that to the enemy. You can, you can have whatever you'd like to take. We give him a foothold in the journey and in this ministry when it's out of order. So there's a lot at stake. This just isn't just a message about my OCD, <laughs> About having order and everything in its place. This is not about me being a neat person and wanting to talk about how everything needs to be in its place. This is hopefully as a message about Jesus being explained, Jesus being known, and Jesus being believed on in the world because we are in order. And I hope you see that this morning. We're starting in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, some of you may know that's where I've been preaching through when I have opportunity to preach with the exception of last week when we looked at marriage. But that Marriage order sermon from last week came from the order that I'm seeing in 1 Timothy 3 so what I want to do is I want us to look at 1 Timothy 3 and then we're going to look at Acts 6 I'll mention a few other passages and then uh, we will wrap, wrap this up but what I want us to look at is what are the elders and what are they supposed to be doing what are the deacons what are they supposed to be doing Who's leading this church? Who's leading around here? Who, who really is leading this church? And how is that ordered? I hope this morning is sort of the myth bu- mythbusters. I think some of you may have seen that on TV where they take these myths and they just want to see, is it true or is it not true? Is it a myth or is it true? And they bust myth. And I hope that this morning is sort of a myth busting morning for you, especially in regards to what the deacon is and what the deacon is to be doing, and what they are doing. So let's look at verse 1 through 13, and then we're going to look at 14 through 16. We're going to read together the entire chapter of 1 Timothy 3. Um, Look at that with me. Paul is talking to Timothy, saying, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Key verse here, he must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of a devil. Verse 8, now the deacons. Who are these men to be? Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, (laughs) faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, these first three, these first 13 verses are about who these men are to be. How do you know who, who is to be an elder and how do you know or an overseer and how do you know who is to be a deacon? And that's what we're given. And we're given, the church is given two things here. I want you to see these as given together. The church is given a leadership order. And the church is given leadership, and the leadership of the church is the elders and the deacons. Okay, you hear that? The the leadership of the church is elders and deacons. Notice how similar the qualification list is between the two. They're given together. Paul gives them together. Who's leading this church? Elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. Just notice how Paul gives these together, how the lists are very similar. And we'll look at that a little closer in a minute. But now, remember, just keep our eyes on the goal. Paul gives us in verse 14 through 16 the reason why you have elders and deacons. And I want you to hear this. The reason why we have church leadership in the order that we have it is not so that a few elders can feel good about what they're doing. I think that can be tempting for any of us to say, well, we have elders, and it's in the Bible, and that's just the way we're supposed to do it, and we feel really good about the fact that we're doing what the Bible says. So, we feel good about what we're doing here. That's not the goal. While it may give us rest assured that we're following and being obedient, and we can trust this, yes, but the end is not so that we can feel good about ourselves, that we can say, well, we're doing it right. You see what I mean? The reason to do this is not so that we can say, look what we're doing. We're doing this right. The reason is found in verse 14 through 16. And look at that with me. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, if I can't get to you, I want you to know this right now. You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in the glory. What's the purpose for having leadership like this? The purpose for having leadership like this is that this church would be a pillar and a buttress of truth, that lies would be rebuked, that truth would be believed, that the implications of who Jesus is, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, and what he's done would be proclaimed among all peoples, and that people would believe in Jesus. Sounds so simple that's why that's the goal that's why we have leadership like this that's why these men must meet these qualifications that's why we have elders and deacons not elders and you know if you're lucky you find a few guys that can help out every once in a while you call them deacons no elders and deacons and the reason is so that jesus would be believed on in this world and you'll see from Acts 6, why that's the case and why that has to be ordered. This, this last verse here, verse 16, I thought was interesting. This is, a, this is not a, a quotation of Scripture. As you'll see how it's lined up in your Bible, it looks like that Paul is either quoting a Scripture or a psalm, and that's not Scripture that he's quoting from the Old Testament. What that is, he was manifested in the flesh Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory was probably an early church hymn, probably a poem or a song. And so, when Paul starts talking about the reasons why we have this order, and he starts talking about the church being a pillar and buttress of truth, he just breaks into the song that they probably all knew. He just breaks into a song. Remember, remember what we're doing here, folks, Jesus He just breaks into a song about Jesus to remind them, that's why you have elders and that's why you have deacons. So remember the goal. Remember why we have order. It's not so that we can feel good about ourselves or to satisfy the OCD tendencies of one of the elders. All right, let's look at what are the elders and deacons to be doing. Now turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look specifically at a few verses here in Acts Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to look at what happens in 7 and what happens in chapter 8. But I want us to read together some of these verses here in Acts chapter 8. What are the elders to be doing? I'm going to let you know what the Scriptures say, and then we'll look at it. Once you've turned to Acts chapter 6, I want to try and boil this down a little bit for us so that we can get our mind wrapped around and so that we can understand what The elders and deacons are to be doing. Now, one of the things that we know from Scripture is that the elders are given a job description. You'll see that in just a minute. The elders have expectations that they're to do. There's some specific things that the elders are to be doing. Elders have a job description. Deacons do not. And there's a real good reason for that. And some of you deacons are going, oh, well, that's just real nice. We do everything, I guess. You know, everything y'all don't want to do, we do, right? It's like number eight on a job description. Y'all know what number eight always is on a job description? It's, and anything else assigned by the supervisor? It's just this catch-all kind of, you, you just, you're just number eight guys. You just, anything else we decide we need you to do, that's what you'll do. And so you may be thinking, oh, what is that? It's more ordered than that. But that's not a bad illustration of what the deacon is and what he does. But the elders have a specific job description it is to do three things. If I could sum it up in three three things: it's to preach the gospel, preach and teach, pray, and oversee. Preach, pray, and to oversee. Three things that the elder is charged with. Now, there are implications. There are other things that relate back to that. But I think you could sum up what the elder is to be doing, spending his time doing. He is to be preparing to preach. He is to be preaching and proclaiming and teaching the body and praying for the body and overseeing the body. Let's read Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint came by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. There's praying and preaching right there. And what they said pleased the gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip, and they chose Procurus, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte out of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And watch what happens. The Word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. What happened? People believed in Jesus. Why? Deacons and elders. Deacons did what deacons were were supposed to do, and elders did what elders were supposed to do. The elders were freed to preach and pray and oversee, and many disciples Many people believed in Jesus. Many people knew who Jesus was and what he had done, and they reckoned with it, and he was believed on in the world because of this order. So, what is this overseeing? We know, I think you know what preaching and praying is. What is this overseeing? What are the elders to be overseeing? Where, what do we think in terms of a 30,000-foot view? If we're to be watching everybody and watching everything, what is it that we're supposed to be watching in you? Are the elders to be watching your sin? Are we supposed to be watching your work ethic and your behavior? Are we supposed to watch your giftedness? Are we supposed to be overseeing your finances? No. What the elder is to be overseeing is what is being said what is being heard, and what is being believed around here. And when I say around here, I mean in this fellowship of believers. This is what we're to be overseeing. What's being said, what's being heard, and what are you believing? What are people saying, and is it true? Are, are, are men speaking with authority, and are women speaking with authority about things in this fellowship, that's true? And are you hearing it? Are you understanding it? Are you hearing what's being spoken as truth? And are you believing it? What's being said, what's being heard, and what's being believed in this body, that's what we oversee. If you look at the word guard and protect in the New Testament, the word guard and protect, especially in terms of the elder and overseer, is never used to indicate that we're to guard and protect anyone around here from each other's sin. We are to guard and protect the deposit, guard and protect the truth. And we're also supposed to rebuke anything that's not true. If you're hearing things that aren't true, we have to say, okay, who said that? Don't say that again, or you'll have to leave. Yeah. Don't don't say that. That's not true, and here's why. And if you don't stop, you're going to have to leave. And if you're believing things that are not true, we have to say, look, you're not believing the truth about the gospel, the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about who you are. We watch sound doctrine. We guard it. If we were to be guarding and protecting you and trying to protect you from sin, and the effects of it, yes, we're burdened for that. It would be like we would have to say, all right, all you really bad sinners, y'all, y'all come over here. Y- you really bad sinners, y'all come over here. If you're, if you're just struggling with some stuff, you can come over here. Now, don't get too close to them, but please stay away from those of us that are really holy. They're, you know, we're watch, if we were to watch sin, that's what that would end up looking like. Okay, you, you people have... All your stuff in one bag, you are getting it done. Okay, y'all stay over here. Now, you can get close to these people who might, are kind of struggling with their sin because you might be able to help one of them, so that's okay. But do not go down here these people who all their stuff's in the street. We, that's not our job. That's not what we do. We are to oversee that everybody is believing in Jesus. Everybody is believing that all sin is covered, that we are all foremost of sinners, that His reason for coming his reason for being manifested in the flesh is that he came to save sinners. Paul said it's trustworthy saying. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Period. That's what we have to make sure you're believing. We're not watching your sin, we're watching what you're believing. Watching what's being said and what's being heard. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to give you just 4 or 5 verses real quick. I want you to write down the references so you'll have them. 1 Timothy 4:16. What is the pastor? What is the elder? Called to watch and keep and guard. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, Timothy. I love what the New American Standard says there. Instead of persist, it says, take great pains with. You take your time, you are diligent, and you persist. And watching the teaching. What are people saying? What are people hearing? And what are they believing? For by doing so, same verse, for by doing so, you will save yourself and you will save your hearers. The people will be kept when an elder is taking great pains by watching what's being said, watching what's being heard, and watching what's being believed on. First Timothy 6.20, just two chapters over. Oh, Timothy, he starts it with. Oh, Timothy, from his gut, he is saying to Timothy guard the deposit entrusted to you. This gospel that I taught you, guard it, protect it, avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. When people say, I know a lot about the Bible, When you hear a man that preaches and it comes across like, I know something you don't know, irreverent babble. It's irreverent babble. And do not allow people to contradict by what's falsely called knowledge. Don't let that guy speak. Don't let that guy preach. I know something you don't know. I can know it and you can't. It's irreverent babble. This gospel is for everyone and to be believed on in the world. Jesus is to be believed on in the world by all. For by professing this, some have swerved from the faith. You know how to get people to swerve from the faith? You start talking about, I know something you don't know, instead of talking and explaining the gospel, making sure it's true, making sure that people, people are hearing and understanding and believing is true. Titus 1.9, speaking to the overseer, and he speaks to the overseer, to the elder, like he's a steward. So he's responsible for something, okay? Titus 1.9, he must, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, as an elder, I am to make sure you're believing sound doctrine, that the teaching is completely true. And when anything that's not true enters, I have to rebuke it and say No. And, and just, to, just to let you know some of the weight of this is that we, we have to do that with our friends. We like y'all. We spend time with you. We eat dinner with you. We know your children. We know your wives. We know you. We know your family. We know what you're going through. And sometimes we have to pull you aside and go, uh-uh, no. And that's hard. Or sometimes we have to say, Say this. Stop saying that. Man, that's hard when there's emotion and there's friendship and there's relationship. To have to rebuke, it's not easy. And no elder takes that lightly to rebuke anyone. In in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Pergamum and Thyatira, the two churches, are two churches that on the report card they were given... Um, They didn't deal with wickedness. The elders didn't deal with wickedness. This is the only place that you can, that I think you could halfway make the argument that we're to watch for wicked people. But we're not looking for bad sinners and good sinners. We're not looking for that. We're looking for wicked people in terms of what they're teaching. Pergamum and Thyatira both were rebuked in in Revelation 2 and 3 because they did not deal with people who were teaching false doctrine. So we don't, we don't run off people who are struggling with sin. We run off people who are not telling the truth. Those are called wolves among sheep. And we have to pay attention to what's being said, paying attention to what's being heard, and paying attention to what you are believing. We're not sin managers. We're not pitch men for your ministries. We're not administrators. We're to be preaching praying, and overseeing. And and watch this. When when the elders are not overseeing, the enemy has a foothold. Turn back to 1 Timothy quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see this, and let's read it together. When the elders are not overseeing, the enemy gains a foothold. 1 Timothy chapter 4, just verse 1 and 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What's going to happen? There's going to be people in your church. Not if, when. Not if, when. There will be people in your church who won't tell the truth. They won't know the truth. They'll maybe unintentionally, it won't matter. Their consciences will be seared and they will lie to you. And it'll be the influence of the enemy. It will be the influence of demons while those people speak those things. Who's responsible for this? The overseer. Don't let people be lied to. You make sure people are hearing the truth and believing it. And you run off liars. It's a the overseeing for the elder is the part that keeps you up at night. Preaching, yes, a difficult task. Preaching, yeah, it's weighty. Praying, very weighty. To to know what some of you are going through and take your needs and your families before the Father, but the oversight. Of wondering, did they understand me? Are they understanding all these implications? And are they really believing it? Are they going to keep believing it? That's what keeps the elder up at night, is the oversight. And it is a weighty task. And we are ultimately responsible and accountable for this body. Where the deacon is not ultimately accountable and responsible. Now... Let's look at the deacons. The deacons here in in Acts chapter 6, we're going back to Acts chapter 6. The deacons here are given the task of assisting. Now listen, because they're not food service distributors. That's not what deaconing is, okay? They're not food service guys. They're not maintenance men. Now, in this moment, what the deacons did is they assisted the elders with anything and everything so the elder could preach and pray. They assisted the elder with anything and everything so that and this, at this moment it was serving food. They assist the elder with anything and everything so that preaching and praying and oversight can go on by men who are accountable. Look at verse 3, Acts 6, verse 3 through 6. Let's look at this deacon. 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation... Full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint. Faithful, good reputation, full of the spirit. And look at verse 8. Look at what, how, how Stephen is described. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And so you hear, you have this guy, Stephen, uh, who is a deacon, full of grace full of power, full of wisdom, faithful, good reputation, and God's using him mightily in ministry. I think there's this this assumption that we've made is that if you need to get something done, if you need a question answered, if you need a trustworthy counsel, if you really want your ministry to take off, you need to call the elders. You just need to go straight to the top. You need to find the head honchos around here. You need to get an elder. And yet, faithful men, full of the Spirit, wisdom, grace, power, and even preaching. And I love it that their names are listed here. Rarely do we see elders' names listed in the Scriptures. The Ephesians' elders came to me. I talked to them. No names. These guys came from Antioch. No names. But just their elders. But we get the deacons' names. I just, I don't know what all is significant there but it's cool that we get their names there's some importance this is impressive and dignified that we get their names Philip Prochorus Nicanor Timon Parmenius and Nicholas Stephen they got names these are not maintenance men and food distributors they're full of the spirit grace wisdom power and they can even preach this whole next chapter, chapter 7, is Stephen launching off into a biblically accurate, biblically historical, beautiful telling of the gospel story for almost 58 verses. An awesome sermon. A sermon preached by a deacon. Preached by a deacon. So, These deacons that assist the elders with anything and everything so that the elders can preach, pray, and oversee, these elders and these deacons assist the elders with everything and they can even preach. They can preach the gospel. And if you've ever read through chapter 7, you know it is an unbelievable sermon. Unbelievably accurate, unbelievably powerful sermon. And I want you to look at Chapter 7, verse 51, what, what, look at what the deacon does in his sermon. After he's laid out the truth, look at how he wraps things up for these folks. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered? You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Man, this dude's got some guts. He throws it down. This is how he wraps up his sermon. You stiff-necked people, you don't even trust the Holy Spirit. He is is speaking with great prophecy here in truth. He's not afraid to stand up and just speak the truth. That's a deacon. And then in chapter 8, Philip, this same deacon, Philip, that's mentioned here. In chapter 8... He is traveling all along the road, and an Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, or the Spirit says to Philip, go over there to that guy that's reading the Bible and explain it to him. And so the eunuch says, hey, um, who is this talking about here? It's just a complete evangelism lob to Philip. And it says that Philip preached to the eunuch, And he got saved, converted, and said, there's water, what's to keep me from being baptized? And then Philip the deacon baptizes him. I want you to watch what's happening there in that story in chapter 8 with Philip and the eunuch. A man is saying, "Can, can somebody explain this to me? Who can explain this to me? Anybody? Can anyone tell me what's going on here and what this means? Ah, Deacon. Deacon. I I don't understand what the scriptures are saying. And the Spirit sent what? An elder with a high hat? No, he sent a deacon to explain the scriptures. Conversion, baptism, deacon. I hope that you will understand that the deacon deserves honor. And you're going to see in the next few months and years, um, deacons preach on Sunday. They're already teaching on Wednesday night. Um, this is in front of us right now. Uh, At Crosspoint, we have Stevens here. We have Phillips here. We have Parmenius here. We have Procurus. We have Nicholas. They're here, they're moving among you now. And it's sweet. When your life falls apart, think about this just a minute, cross point. When your life falls apart, when you've failed in sin, when you become overcome with the anxieties of life, or when you've experienced unimaginable grief and loss, when your life is a confusing mess and you just need some wise counsel, when you lack understanding and you just want to know, what should I do here? I don't know what to do when you don't have any more strength to go on, when you want to learn how to be a better shepherd, when you really just want to learn how to be more faithful, is your first thought, where are my elders? Is your first thought, I need an elder. In those moments, don't you want faithful men, full of grace, full of power, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, who know their Bibles. You need a deacon to come alongside you. And some of you are living that now. Some of you know it. You could stand up here and testify that there's a deacon right by your side in your mess and in your joy and in your celebration. There's a deacon right beside you, in it, with you, ministering to you, speaking the truth into your situation and your life. And some of you all are reaping the sweet benefits of the deacon ministry of this church. You want a deacon. And I wonder in our culture if there's not this idea that for some reason elders are are to be more honored for some reason. And maybe 1 Timothy 5, the passage where Paul says uh, you're supposed to give double honor to the elders. Double honor, especially those who are serving well and those that are preaching consistently. And that double honor, that word there, that double honor, what he's talking about there is compensation. What he means there is... Whoever is making a living preaching the gospel, pay the guy. Don't muzzle the ox, is what he says. Don't harness him. Don't chain him down into poverty. Pay your preachers well. That's what he means by double honor. But look back at 1 Timothy 3.13. Look what that says, right? In 1 Timothy 3.13, let's, let's, uh, if you're wondering about who's to be honored, 1 Timothy 3, verse 13 For those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing. That's honor. Just because it says double honor for the elder, that's talking about compensation. That's talking about pay the guy well. But who are we to honor? Our leaders, elders, listen church, and deacons. They've gained a good standing for themselves and great confidence or freedom in the faith. And we, we are to honor the men who are serving in this deacon role. It's important. It's impressive. It is dignified. And I think there's a new day coming in, this, in our culture, in this Hunk County subculture, in Texas or the South, wherever you want to call it, that when people say, oh, you're a leader at your church? Are you an elder? And you say, no, I'm a deacon. They don't go, oh, oh, you didn't, you didn't make the A team, huh? Oh, you're a deacon. Sorry. What they're going to say, because of, listen, Crosspoint, because of these men who are deaconing at our church now, what they're going to say, they're going to start saying, you're a deacon? Whoa. you're, You're a deacon? You're a deacon? I know what that means. I know that that means you're full of grace, full of wisdom, full of power, full of the Spirit, that you can preach, you can teach, you can explain the Scriptures. And you shepherd your wife, and you lead a family, and you run businesses. Whew. Deacon, you are honorable. Oh, you're an elder. Oh, well, good. I'm grateful that you're overseeing preaching and praying. But deacon, wow. People have asked me before if you went to plant a church, who would you take to go elder with you? And I say, now, I don't. I... Who? Where are my deacons? I'm not going to plant a church. I would never go to plant a church unless I had men full of grace, wisdom, power, and the Spirit beside me. There's no way I'd launch off into that without deacons. And remember, these men do this so that the Jesus would be made known and believed on in the world. That's why we have this order. That's why elders have got to preach, pray, and oversee, and deacons do everything to assist them. And preach, and teach. I've been trying to think about how to explain to you, as an elder, how it feels to finally have a group of men who are serving like they're serving here at CrossPoint. And you know, there's the cheesy wind beneath your wings stuff. I can't, you know. How do I explain how it feels? It's so hard to put into words. And it hit me yesterday. I don't know if you've ever driven a car that had turbo. But there's this, all of a sudden, at 60 miles an hour, there's this quiet, smooth, powerful boost that happens. And the next thing you know, you're doing 85. You're like, what in the world? I didn't hear it rev. I didn't fall back in my seat. But I went from 60, and I'm doing 85 now. That was smooth. Man. That's how it feels to elder with your deacons. That's how it feels to elder with your deacons right now. And it is sweet. And it feels like turbo ministry. I don't know how many of you know this. And I meant to put it in the bulletin and I forgot. But we have an Acts 6 list too. This church, and this may be just semantics and don't get in a fight with me over it. This church is not elder-led. This church is not led by three men. This church is led by 25 men. This church is not led by three men. This church is led by 25 men. Three elders and 22 deacons. I don't know how many of you know this, but... We have finance team, media team. You were led this morning. Worship team, uh, a media team, I'm sorry, back there. Worship team, a youth ministry team. We have a missions team. Every family overseas is overseen by a deacon. All of these ministries are led by deacons, not elders. The ministries of this church are led by deacons and served by deacons. And that's where the ministries of this church find grace and wisdom and power in the spirit. Deacons. Morris Bean is a deacon, and he's on security today. And every Sunday, one of our deacons is over there, overseeing this property, watching the children, and watching the children's workers. I don't know how many of y'all know that, but a deacon every Sunday does that. Clint Stevens and others led us this morning, deacon. Nathan Green and Morris prepared the supper that we're about to take. Came up here early and prepared it for the body. Their charge. After we're all leaving to go stuff our face at lunch, Bud Jones and Drew Livinggood will be up here counting and stewarding the offering to make sure that not a penny is missed, and to make sure that we are handling with excellence the stewardship of the offerings of these people. And they'll be here long after we're gone, and they'll make that deposit timely, and they are overseeing the finances of this church. The deacons will do that. Why all of that movement? So that I could spend this week not worrying about the finances, not worrying about the worship and the media. I was able to focus on the sermon and preach, and I was able to pray, and I was able to consider what you're believing and what you're hearing. So the elder was set free to be an elder this week because of all of this movement of the deacons. Now, y'all are going to hate this. They're not going to like this at all. But I didn't get the list of names in the bulletin, so I want every deacon to stand up. And let's don't do the cheesy clap thing. Just, just every deacon, I want you to stand up. You're, I'm, they're they're going to hate me for this, but I don't care. Stand up. Every deacon, stand up. And I just want you to look, because church, you're, you're being led by 25 men, not just three. And I want you to look around. And when, when you need grace, wisdom, power, and the Spirit, and you need something explained to you from the Scripture, these are the men that will lead you through that. These are the men that are leading the ministries of our church, And so much of that's just this morning. That's not talking about the rest of the week. These men that you're seeing standing right now have gained good standing among you. And they're to be honored. And we must pray for them. And we must encourage them. And we must yield to them. And we must follow these men. You guys can be seated. Thank you. If the church... It's going to be the pillar and the buttress of truth. And if people are going to know Jesus, that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory, it's going to be because elders are doing what elders are supposed to do, and deacons are serving well. These deacons have gained a good standing. And when that's out of order, listen, when that's out of order, and it has been here before, the elders have in the past run around here trying to do everything deacons are doing now, and our eye has been off of oversight, or we haven't been had the time to preach, and we haven't had time to pray. Our last three elder meetings, now, this may sound very uh, naive to you, but we actually prayed together. And we talked about our sermons and we talked about what we're hearing and seeing in your lives and in your families about what you're believing. We talked about oversight. And we haven't always been able to do that. And the last three elder meetings have been a joy and a like a turbo-powered elder meeting because we're praying and preaching and thinking about you and what you're believing and what you're hearing. And the reason that those meetings were that way were because of these men that you just saw standing up. That's why. Because they're leading this church well. And the enemy will not have a foothold when the elders are preaching and praying and overseeing and when deacons are serving and gaining a good standing, full of grace, full of wisdom, full of power, full of the Spirit, preaching and teaching. Let's pray. Father, as we take the supper now, we pray that you would um, just remind us today what, what it means to follow you and what it means to follow other men and imitate and be submissive to other men. Father, I am so grateful for the deacon ministry at this church. So grateful for the Stevens and the Phillips, the Nicholases that are here. And it's my prayer that we would honor them. We would honor them well because of the good standing and the freedom in Jesus that they have. And God, our prayer this morning finally is that Jesus would be made known among all peoples and that people would believe on Jesus in this world because we are ordered in our movement and church leadership. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
1: As one of the elders, I also want to say that I've been immensely blessed uh, by our deacons, even in the past couple weeks, just with family dynamics and dealing with different things. The deacons have blessed us immensely, and I am very thankful for you guys and thankful for Brad for making that so clear on how the church is led. As we take the supper this morning, for the last couple weeks, we've taken a close look at what the Bible has to say about order and structure. And priorities, and that leads to our schedules and um, all the details that we have to work through week in and week out. So as we come to the supper, what we're doing during this time is we're making the statement that while order is important, we don't put our trust in order itself. You hear that? While order is important, we don't put our trust in order itself. Rather, we put our trust in the God of order and the God of the schedule and the God of the structure. So that means that we come to this table humbly. What we are saying as we remember Christ is that he is sufficient. Christ is sufficient for all that we could ever need. We trust his finished work and we aim to walk in it faithfully. I want you all to hear that this morning. Because I know some of us left last week saying, how can I do that? I heard the deacons talking back and forth in small group shepherds. How can I be husband? Daddy, pastor, in that order, and not get my priorities out of whack, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and how do I do that? And as we take this supper, I want you to know that Christ is sufficient for all of those things. Our sufficiency is found in Christ alone, not in what we can muster in the way of a schedule. We go to the order because of the sufficiency of Christ. Consider your mindset when someone has you over for dinner. In general, you are thankful because you know that they have made a sacrifice for your well-being through the preparation of the meal. When you go to dinner at someone's house, if you're not thankful, there's something wrong with you. You should be thankful. They spent time to cook you dinner and to provide for you. As we come to this table, I want you all to consider Christ is our sacrifice. We should be thankful. We should have humble hearts. Christ is our sacrifice, and through his sacrifice, we have redemption from our sins, that we might be brought to God. It is indeed an honor to be seated at such a table. Colossians 1, 28 through 29 says this. And I think this is what Brad's done these last two weeks. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Are those familiar words to you? Toiling, struggling? Those are are daily words for for me and my family. But look at what happens there. In getting our lives in order, there's no doubt that each of us have some spiritual maturing to do. But what a blessing to know that our toil and our struggle in those things, we are not on our own. Rather, Christ, this table that we're going to, the supper that we're taking, Christ is powerfully working his energy within us. Christ is powerfully working his energy within us. If you're tired right now, be thankful. Christ is powerfully working his energy within us. So as we distribute the elements, I'd encourage you all to spend time in prayer, uh, asking God for help in specific areas as we're trying to get things in order and see order in the church and see order in our homes, we need to pray humbly and honestly to God to help us according to his purposes and his will. And as you pray, thank God for being completely trustworthy. Thank God for being completely trustworthy and sufficient for all that we could ever need. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything, coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Take and eat. Take and drink. Now pray with me. Lord, I am thankful that you are not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. that through Christ you have given us order, structure, details as to what our days are supposed to look like if we are walking faithfully as your children and your ambassadors. Lord, I pray that as the taste of the supper is in our mouths, that it would be sweet, that we would be savoring what you have accomplished for us in Christ, that we would see what a privilege it is to be seated at the table. Lord, help us to trust you. Help me to trust you not to waver. Lord, as we continue in worship, I pray that we would give wholeheartedly as an act of worship, not begrudgingly. You have blessed us immensely, and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy, take this gospel that I've given you and be strengthened by it, and then you entrust it to faithful men so they can teach also. And I can tell you that we are doing that right now, that your deacons will teach and preach more and that the elders are entrusting the gospel, entrusting the teaching of this church into faithful, faithful men. I hope that you know that the deacon is to be honored. And I'll throw the gauntlet down on people that are about to have babies. You'll honor a deacon when you'll name your kid Procurus. Right? I mean, Parmenius. They will know... A deacons really honored when we have names like that, So, and I wouldn't put it past some of y'all to do that. I hope you'll honor these men. They are faithful, and they have gained a good standing. There's a lot of announcements in here, and I'm not going to run through them, but all of them in detail, but please get a bulletin. Um, The main thing I want to let you know is that Wednesday night, we will not be having Bible study up here, but we're asking everybody to meet for dinner right over here at Oak Creek. In this neighborhood, just right down, uh, 1570 here. Um, the, the directions are on here, 615 Oak Creek Park, the park on the other side of the from us of the neighborhood, Oak Creek Park, 615. Uh, RSVP up here. You need to bring some money for food, $2 per person to cover the cost of the food. Eat together, trick-or-treat together, and um, just know we're not be, going to be having anything here at the building Wednesday night. We're going to meet at Oak Creek. Daylight savings time is next week, so... We fall back on the clocks. Be, be sure to make sure you know um, that children's workers are needed. Um, our next baptism is November the 11th. And the third annual Cross Point Ladies Retreat will be February 22nd and 23rd. Please grab a bulletin because there's so many details that I didn't go over. So thank you all for being here. If you'll stand, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Father, thank you for a sweet worship time for uh, the way that the men of this church have led us this morning in so many ways and in even ways that we didn't even know about. And we're grateful that Jesus was put on display, that Jesus is being believed on in the world because of order. We're grateful for the order you've
1: given us and we're grateful for Jesus and it's in his name that we pray, amen.